main activist. Some people in town say the base is run by aliens working with our federal government to conduct mind control and genetic experiments. I'm leaving. I'm glad. Thanks a lot, society, for railroading my ass. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Eerie Americas. This is Vicky Ayala. And this is your other sleepy co-host, Christy Hull. How are you guys doing? It is early my time. It is it's, It is so early Christy's time. And I got up at 7 in the morning because I know Vicky has errands yeah. to run today. And, and your in-laws are here, so you can't even really record yeah, later. Yeah, so we have to get this done first thing. Yeah, first and thing in the morning. The drink I'm drinking is coffee, which just feels foreign to me because we always have a drink drink. Yeah, like so an alcoholic like, beverage. It, <laughs> yeah, and, and I can't do that because it's like I can't drink and see my in-laws and get my morning buzz on. You know, Those it's not all brunch, sound so. like more reasons to drink to me. And the only reason I'm not drinking is because I don't want to have to pee while we're recording and while I'm running yeah. errands. Um, but it's it's not it's not too early for me to drink. Honestly, it's like brunch time in New York. But the funny thing is, Christy's like half asleep. Oh my god, it's so early. Meanwhile, I am literally fully dressed. Which when I say fully dressed, I have my shoes on, my hair is in a bun. I'm. I have jeans on, yeah. which literally, You're completely literally ready. never happens. We were, I record this podcast in my cleaning clothes, like not even my walk around the house clothes. I record in my cleaning clothes and half the time I kind of like look like I'm in like disarray and I just, I was just <laughs> through like a natural disaster. So Christy has seen the worst of everything. Just for you, Vicky, I literally brushed my hair this morning. I was like, nah, I don't want her to see me like this. Like we're so close. She's seen my morning faces and my hair before, but I was like, just for etiquette purposes, I'm going to brush my, like, cause I'm still in my like yoga pants that I fell asleep in so I was like you know what I'm just gonna brush my hair for being polite purposes and it was so ridiculous because last night um, my in-laws are in town as I, as we mentioned and um, we were out to celebrate my brother-in-law who came out from California you know we haven't seen each other since Christmas we're probably not gonna see them for Christmas so this is like the one time to see each other I got home last night at 11 o'clock my time so needless to say I'm somebody that just can't like come inside and crash so I had to stay up watch an episode of something scary. I tried to watch Bly Manor. Terrible. I'm sorry. I was going to mention that I'm, I loved The Haunting of Hill House. I loved The Haunting of Hill House. I do not like I have to rewatch it. I do not like The Haunting of Bly Manor. I, it took me a really... And you guys know, I told you how quickly I binge shows. It took me like three the, days to finish Bly Manor. And all it made me do is, as Christy knows, I rewatched The Haunting of Hill House yesterday in one day because I just did not like it. If... I'm going to recommend to watch it if that's something you want to fall asleep to. If you're having trouble sleeping, and that was what I was going to say. I literally was like, Ten minutes huh. in, you fell asleep. I watched like, <laughs> I watched a rerun of like The Office because, you know, there's only so much more time you can watch it on Netflix. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to get Charlie through the Robert California episodes. We made it to the end of eight. So I was like, you know, what? I'll put on something scary because it's October and I've barely watched anything scary. I'm just running out. This year has been tough in terms of time. It's just like me traveling an hour for work and then getting an hour back. Before I know it, the day's over. I just haven't had the opportunity. I'm like going to download Shutter just to have an app just for scary stuff. And so I um, was like, let me put on something scary. Within 10 minutes, I was falling asleep. And I was like, you know what? If you can't capture my attention in 10 minutes, my rule is scary shows, which are an hour episode each, you have 10 minutes to bring, kind of draw me in. If not, I shut it down. If it's a movie, I give it the old 20 minutes. If I'm not drawn in, I shut it down. And I knew when I was falling asleep at 1130 which, you know, I had some sake. I was feeling good. I wasn't drunk, but, you know, I, I was able to stay awake and I fell asleep. So if you want something to lull you to sleep, I recommend Blind I Banner because it is not scary. I actually recommend it to scary. people 
who want to watch something scary but don't actually like scary stuff, like the people who watch the not scary movies during Halloween, then watch it because it's not scary. And <laughs> Or if you want something on in the background, because to me, I'll give it an episode to get me to draw in. Because I know sometimes pilots or the first episode are not great because you're trying to introduce characters and do backstory. So I'll give you the first two episodes. I actually, it was very hard for me to get through that show. And the only reason we finished it is because we had already started watching it. And we're like, whatever. Because unlike Makes Christy, sense. I work from home and I literally just watch scary shit all day. So I had nothing else to watch. I've literally gone through all of my scary movies already. And I gave it a chance. And to me, it was nothing like The Haunting of Hill House. The plot, the plot wasn't great. The script wasn't great. Um, it was very confusing because The Haunting of Hill House, you very clearly knew when they were going back in time and then coming back to the present. This movie, right. they literally, and Christy has, is, she's not she's not going to get there because she's not going to watch it, but there is one episode where they're literally just bouncing back and forth and bouncing back and forth, and you have no idea what the fuck is going on. And I'm all for confusing your audience and, like, giving them something twisted at the end, but it just felt very convoluted and confusing. Nothing about it was scary. And then the ending was just kind of like, eh, okay. Unlike Vicky, she'll give lots of things a chance. I'm very, I'm a snot when it comes to my time. So like something has to draw me in right away because I've watched so much shows and television, specifically horror. My mom growing up, I mean, I watched The Shining at age oh, four. Me too. Like, you know, it's one because of those of type my of mom. things. Like, She's so weird. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things like I know what to look for right away. And if you don't draw me in, I'm not, I'm going to waste my time. So I'm a total snot when it comes she to those is. things. She's so if you're snot. snobby like me. Don't waste your time. And if you're like Vicky and you give things chances, watch an episode. Watch one like, episode, but I'm telling you. It was not good. So we announced our our big announcement was that we're having our first giveaway. Um, um, so we just wanted to talk about what's going to be in the giveaway. The one thing I do have to say is, unfortunately, this really kills us to say it because we do know that we have a fan base outside of the U.S. and Canada right now. The giveaway is only for U.S. and Canada. Unfortunately, with everything going on here with the mail, our mail system is trash. Um, I have waited Garbage. like three weeks for something that should have taken a couple of days. So unfortunately, if we try to ship this out anywhere further than the U.S. or Canada, you would never get it. And it would be like super expensive on our end. And we're a small podcast and we pay for everything ourselves. So unfortunately, we have to only give like this is only eligible for those of you in the US and Canada but we promise hopefully um after the election is over because basically that's why the mail sucks right now if everything can go back to normal with mailing we can open up um our next giveaway to everybody so we really really apologize for that it actually it was a really hard decision on our part we, we really are sad about it um we mulled it over for a long time but we didn't want you guys to get it at christmas that's re in reality what would happen Honestly, like, <laughs> and it's happening everywhere. I see you with other people shipping out merch. It's, it's t like Christy's sister sent her something from England. It took forever to get to her. It's just, it's not feasible. And I, we don't want to, we don't want to send you something for a giveaway by the time the next one starts. Like, so that's, unfortunately, we have to do it that way. And we do want to talk a little bit about what's in it. So basically, we are including a couple little things we're going to send. Uh, we have basically... When we did our, before we started our podcast, we actually had a launch, like a little launch party where we debuted it to our friends. And the 
Exactly. So one of the things that we did is I actually made like a little crossword puzzle on my own just of like murder stuff. And I didn't think anybody would really care for it. They literally spent half of the time, even during the episodes, doing the damn crossword puzzle. So I put together a little book of like little crossword puzzles and stuff like that, that, you know, just all Erie America's related. Um, it's just, you know, a couple little puzzles, you know, regarding our, you know, true crime and some of our episode titles. So we put that together and made a little book for you. Um, we're also sending you guys, uh, it's also included is a mask. I also have like this other, this book that I'm going to be including because I tend, I'm very, like, I don't pay attention sometimes, which is weird for me. But I tend to order two things of something that I don't mean to. So like I have a cool book on Unsolved Murders that I, for some reason, have two of them. So, you know, just a bunch of... Yeah, and I also want to include, and I'll send it, I also want to include one of our favorite true crime books ever, uh, which has gained international success, um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, Yes, Michelle McNamara. Great book. Like probably one of the first people to buy it and actually absorb it and read it even before the HBO drop. But I think if you're a, a true crime fan, it's something that should just be in your library. So, uh, so just yeah. to ensure you have it, we're, we're going to throw that in there too. We're just favorites and some things that are not just for Halloween, but just for, you know, this genre in general. But we did want to do a cute little Halloween giveaway. So, um... Basically, we'll be announcing the rules probably by the time this episode drops. We'll put it on our Twitter. We'll put it on our Instagram. The rules are very, very simple, just like other giveaways. We'll tell you, you know, how to enter. We'll be closing it probably the week, what is it, the week before Halloween we'll be closing it. Um, yeah. And we'll be shipping it out so that you get it by Halloween. So next week, so essentially. Next, so essentially next week we'll, um, we'll be done. But hopefully you guys enjoy it. And if it goes well, then we're happy to do um, future giveaways. But we're going to get started. I actually have an anonymous story from someone. Um, I do want to warn that it is, you know, a sensitive topic. Christy and I don't get political on here, but I will say that um, I've always been uh, pro-choice. But this does involve a sensitive topic, which is abortion. So if you're okay. someone who doesn't really like to hear about it or is against it or whatever, you might want to skip through the next skip few it. seconds. But So last year I had a dream about a child I never met who was my nephew, apparently. It was really emotional and I was hugging him so tight. I swear it was real. I can still feel it and see it to this day. The only thing I remember saying is, your father loves you very much. And we were both crying. Then he disappeared in my arms and I woke up almost crying. Fast forward a few Creepy. months later, my brother tells me that his girlfriend had an abortion around the time that I had, a, I had the dream. I think that was his kid in my dream. He never even told us she was pregnant. And I, and to me, that's, I, I really debated on whether or not to tell this story um, because I don't ever want to have a woman feel like she doesn't have a right to choose this for herself. Well, this is totally yeah. different than where I thought it was going to go. When you first told me, I thought it was going to be like the ghost of someone's aborted child actually chasing them. But for like a Thea to actually like get get a, you know, an appearance or an idea or a dream, or maybe it was even just a sensation of something occurring, you know, that's really well, I do want to point like, out that this thought? person um, told me, you know, on the side that they do see things sometimes, like they have seen spirits before. So it's not like they've never seen it. Right. So this is... Yeah, they're just clearly a very sensitive Everybody, I'm not telling planet. you that, you know, aborted children are going to come visit you in your dreams, but this person is a sensitive, like they do see things sometimes, like they've seen spirits before. It was just that this something that just really was emotional for them. And I, and I get it. And I thought it was crazy. And it's not like the story was told to them and then they had the dream. They had the dream and didn't find out for months that this even happened at the same time as the dream. I can't imagine waking up for something like that and not knowing for months why I had that dream. Like, I think that's 
that's crazy. Um, Wild stuff. But they wanted to make sure that, like, they literally said, I was like, you know, I won't put this in the podcast if you don't want me to. They're like, no, want this story told because I, it's like, I've never heard something like this before. It's like really, really crazy to me. There are immeasurable cases of mysterious events out in the world, which have gone on to become permeated with unexplained mysteries and unanswered questions. Some of the most remarkable of these are those that involve some element of the paranormal or supernatural. From ghosts to witches to Satan himself, music seems to be the soundtrack into darkness. This episode is about those involved in music and have somehow found themselves in the midst of unexplainable events with all very different outcomes. The first case I want to talk about is about someone a bit more known in the music world. This person is famous for creating beautiful, timeless music, as well as controversy, even from the grave. Jim Morrison, poet, rock god, and one of music's most controversial stars, paved the path and set the bar for future rock stars. Rock's first bad boy was, once upon a time, a very reserved performer who sang with his back to the crowd, if we can remember that. Reserved? <laughs> yeah, he used and originally he was, he was very shy. As we are about to honor Mr. Mojo's rising life and death, there is one man who simply wishes that the Serpent King would leave him alone. So this is from PR Web, I found this. I'm going to leave America's really briefly, but the person that I'm talking about lives in the United States. So Jim Morrison is buried in Paris, France, and his grave is so popular, the French wanted him removed years ago. But he attracts so much attention. His resting place is the second most visited tourist site in the country, only being beaten by the Eiffel Tower. See, this is what we say. People really, they treat some cemeteries as tourist attractions. And I, I get it, but I also don't get it because I'm like, what is the fascination? You just want to see where someone is buried. But like, there's other people who have loved ones there. We say rest in peace for a reason. It's supposed to be peaceful. Like you're not supposed to just be traipsing all over people's graves and shit because you want to visit someone famous. So I can kind of understand wanting him to be removed. And we even talked about last episode, what you said about the curse of Pruitt. It's the same thing. Like, you know, you don't want to go into a place because you don't know what the repercussions are going to be. Let's get into what happened in 1997 when Hollywood resident and rock and roll historian Brett Meisner, which, by the way, I didn't even know that was a thing. I feel like I missed my calling not being a rock and roll historian. What is a rock and roll historian? That sounds like the coolest job on the planet. If I heard that in high school, I probably would have figured out how to get into rock and roll history. Seriously, Your like, life to is learn just literally just knowing everything about rock and roll. Like who could not want that job? Although, what do you do with that? I don't know, but let's find out because Brett Meisner had his assistant shoot a picture by Jim's grave while he was visiting in France. No bueno. It was such a casual event to him, though. He didn't even really take a look at the pic for years. Like, oh, so he just like took it, put in a photo album and didn't look at it. Well, remember, this was 97, so it was right. probably like a camera. And you just so didn't you took develop the picture it right and away. didn't develop it. And like it sat there for a few years because that's what happened back right. in the day, folks. You didn't get instant pictures. You had to. You didn't go get to look roll. at it and see if you looked good. <laughs> you just took the picture and hope you for had the best. to take it to the pharmacy. You had to wait for them to wait a few days. It was a whole process. But in 2002, he noticed um, uh, his assistant had pr- like produced the photo. And he noticed a strange image in the background of a photo of him at the gravesite of the former Doors frontman Jim Morrison at the Pierre Lachasse Cemetery in Paris, France. He is standing beside the grave, smiling with his hands in his pocket. But in the background to his right, you can see an outline of a man who is almost translucent, but upon closer inspection, bears an eerily striking resemblance to Jim himself. Only no one is technically there. 
After having the photograph and original negative analyzed by dozens of paranormal and photographic experts, there's still little explanation as to how or why this ghostly image appeared in the photo. Some believe it's forgery, and I could see that too, especially right. given this guy's a rock and roll historian. Like, what are the chances right. that a guy who studies rock and roll history would encapsulate this strange photo of one of rock and roll's greatest contributions in spirit form? It just it sounds, seems so coincidental. Th- exactly. That I was going to say. It sounds like that word we hate. Coincidence. But others simply think it's just a ray of sunlight playing an odd trick on the human eye. But for Brett Meisner... The photo has become a black cloud of bad luck hanging over his head, and he's now looking for a way to get rid of this infamous and very controversial piece of rock and roll history. Brett Meiser barely recalled that 97 photo, as we said, pointing to the visibly iconic image of Jim in the background. Quote, I have collected a lot of rock memorabilia over the past few decades, so I figured he was playing a joke on me, explained Meisner. But once we found the negative and made larger prints, it was quite clear to all of us that he had something odd and unique on our hands. Once word of Morrison ghosts photographs spread across the internet, both skeptics and avid Doors fans came knocking on Meisner's door. A British crew from from the show Dead Famous even flew to L.A., bringing along paranormal expert Chris Fleming, who called the photo, quote, one of the best I've ever seen. This publicity led to appearances on the Biography Channel and several prominent radio programs, but Meisner began to realize the photo was causing him more harm than good. I've had strangers come to my home at all hours of the night wanting to talk to me about... They have some messages from Jim, explained Meisner. At first, it was sort of interesting to see how many people felt spiritually bonded with Jim in the photo, but now the whole vibe seems negative. A failed marriage and the loss of a young friend to a drug overdose were just a few of the tragedies that have befallen Brett since he discovered the photographs. Quote, I've lost some high-paying clients and nothing, but bad luck has plagued me for the last few years. A spiritual advisor and close friend recently told Meisner that they believe the photograph is part of a curse and that he needs to find a respectful way to part with the image and bring closure to both Brett and the spirit of Morrison. So I see the key word there is respectful. That's the very big key word there because one of the reasons that like things like this happen is because it's a little disrespectful because I actually have a cousin who did one of those. He was really young, went to a cemetery with his friends, was drinking, was smoking, thought this was a great little hangout, took a picture, and he has literally had really crazy luck since that happened. And it's because you disturbed the peace. Whether it's a famous person or not, you disturb someone's eternal resting place and you disturb their peace. And after that, you have to find a respectful way to like apologize and take it back. Totally. And it's funny you say that because this is what he's quoted saying. Part of me wishes that I would never step foot into that graveyard in the first place. While I also know I'm partly to blame for talking about it in the first place, I should have kept it to myself and not let the media have a field day with something so special and private. Jim had famously stated that as a child, he and his family came across a terrible car accident in which an old Native American man had died and leapt into his body. Could this be Jim trying to give the restless spirit a new body to call home or give up his and take Meisner's? Who knows? But currently, Meisner is currently trying to find a private and reputable organization to donate the photos and negative. So far, he has zero takers including this podcast host. I, this one too, because I get it and I totally sympathize, but I'm not taking that shit on. And again, he could have seen the photo and kept it to himself. And I think that would have not resulted in it. And while I do sympathize with his situation, his him saying 
people came to my house and blah, blah, blah. That's exactly what you did to the grave. You have all these people visiting someone's resting place and now you're kind of going through the same thing, but earthbound, where people are disturbing your peace because you decided to make something like this so public. So while I do sympathize with him, it's like, dude, like that's why certain things are just sacred and private and you just shouldn't do them. So again, we're going to tell you to please stop visiting gravesites. And let me show you the image. Ooh. That I mean, the funny thing is you described exactly that. I don't know why I didn't expect it to look exactly like you described, but it is um, super fucking creepy. Please stop showing it to me. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm okay. like so creeped out because it looks like he's just like up against the wall, like chilling. Oh, my God. That was so creepy. And it looks like Jim holding himself up like the same pose. That yeah, we, like he's just when like, you envision Jim Borison, that's how he's standing like up against the door, basically. Like it's mm-hmm. just like chilling. I'm here, and that's that's pretty. Um, that's a really. I don't think I've seen many photos that are that like. There's always a debate with these photos. Like, oh, what do you really see? To me, now that I'm going, I'm list, I'm thinking of what you said. Like when you described the photo without me seeing it, I don't know how anybody could think it was something else. This is 1997. This is a imprinted photo. Digitally, you can enhance whatever you want these days. This was done when there wasn't digital right. enhancements yet in photos. So this is, he has the negative that goes to show you it's imprinted into it. So it's completely different. But I think Brett Meisner is actually kind of fortunate because some curses can take you out. At least that's the clues left in one man's death that has yet to be fully explained. One of these cases happened in Seattle, Washington, United States, where a successful professional turned up dead by a tale of dark magic and even witches. In April of 1991, 35-year-old Christopher Case seemed to have everything going for him. He was a successful artist manager at a Seattle-based music company. He was making good money and happy in his life and work. He had no enemies, was well-liked by his peers. So it was strange when friends began to get a series of phone calls from a noticeably scared and confused Christopher. In these calls, he anxiously claimed that someone was out to get him and that he was a target of a curse and that a witch was attacking him with supernatural powers and spells. Christopher's friend, Sammy Sauter of Fayetteville, North Carolina, would later say of this such bizarre message. He said, they're after me. I'm very, very afraid, extremely afraid. I could die from this. He said he was afraid and that the witch had been attacking him all night and cutting him. He said he woke up with little cuts on the ends of his fingers, end quote. Several of his friends received similar disturbing calls like this from him, who was saying things like he had a week left to live, and they, as friends, began to worry about him. It was very unusual because he had never previously expressed any interest in the paranormal and had been mentally sound and in good spirits. So he's not like you and I that are already kind of into this. He had expressed no interest. So for him to suddenly start making these wild, terrified claims of being terrorized by a witch was alarming and bizarre. His friends started to worry about his mental health, but before anything could be done from this whole strange situation, it would take a sharp, eerie, and unexplainable turn. On April 18th, so exactly seven days after he said he was getting these strange things happening to him, 1991, Christopher didn't show up to work and all calls to him remained unanswered. In the light of weird claims that he had been making during the previous week, this was seen as suspicious, so friends called the police to go to his Seattle apartment to see if he was all right. When no one answered the locked door, police left, but then returned the next day to check again after there was still no contact from Christopher to anyone. This time, the door was unlocked, which, why? Who knows? The officers let themselves in, and what they would find was worse than anything they could imagine. There, in an empty bathtub, was the dead body of Christopher Case, fully clothed and seeming to be knelt in a prayer position. I'm going to tell you why I'm so creeped out right now. 
So remember last episode with Carl Pruitt where I said I was trying to look for other cases that might have been similar to do it? As I'm doing research and I'm typing right like things in Google, like, you know, similar cases, this case came up. I read about two sentences and was like, nah, I can't do this right now because I was already creeped out from Carl Pruitt. I literally read this person's name, Christopher Case. I read like a synopsis and I was like, nope. And I kept going and I was like, you know what? This is just going to be a short well, episode. I threw him in as a, as a musician. I threw him in. I so I, I had to. Was creepy. I was creeped out off of a two sentence synopsis that I did not cover it. And now you're, that's why I'm so silent right now. Cause I'm like, this is why I didn't want to do this before. And I'm like, chills. We did not plan that. As no, you can tell, she's freaked no, out. No, because I'm looking at Christy. Like, when do I tell her? When do I tell her that this happened? The body showed no signs of injury or struggle. And it would get even more mysterious when the area was searched. The scene of the of the death painted a bizarre picture. Around his body were ten burnt-out candles in an array and crucifixes scattered about. In fact, the whole apartment was covered in crucifixes, ambulance, and arcane trinkets. Which is weird because you said that he wasn't into any of this stuff before Not he started all. freaking out. Along the bases of the wall and door frames were carefully laid lines of salt, and the entranceway to the apartment held a strange geometric pattern drawn in salt as well. Now, for those of us who are into or understand or know the history of of witchcraft or witches or whatever, salt deters witches from entering your residence. Right. So they they usually, you'll see in movies and stuff that they draw a circle of salt and they stand in the middle of it because it's supposed to protect you. So obviously he thought, he said a witch was following him, right? And he has salt everywhere. So he's obviously trying to protect him, protect himself from something, but it obviously didn't work. Totally. There were also multiple books on witchcraft, black magic, and the occult everywhere. But most intriguing were all the series of handwritten letters that told the tale that further escalated the death into the realm of the strange. The letters explained that Christopher had recently gone on a trip to San Francisco, California, where he met a woman who claimed to be an expert on ancient Egyptian music. Christopher had found all of this fascinating as his hobby was ancient music. Like this guy's a musician to all different genres of music found this Which is weird though because not a lot of people are into quote unquote ancient music. Yeah. Because there's a difference between like classical and old but then ancient is just Ancient Egyptian music. In my mind it's like pharaoh music. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. The stuff you hear at at the background of like every ancient Egyptian movie. Like that's what I'm thinking of and that's not typical or something I think a lot of people are into. Right. So naturally the two struck up a conversation. Like they, you know, were like, oh wow, you're into that. Cool. In the letter, he claims that the woman had then made a pass at him, but he had politely refused, stating the reason, stating that the reason as being that he had been unnerved by her, not to mention she was also like 20 years older than he was. The woman had apparently then become angry and claimed to be a witch, further threatening that she was going to put a curse on him. And although he didn't believe in witchcraft at the time, he found it extremely unsettling. You think? You know what that reminds me of? The beginning of Beauty and the Beast when the witch comes to the castle and tries to give the prince a rose and then gets mad because he scoffs her and then turns him into a beast. I'm sorry. Yep. I don't know why. But I'm just like, got to be careful who you scoff. Like, got just Totally. He, well, maybe, I mean, he, he, maybe he wasn't nice about the way he let her down. That's true. Who knows? After this encounter, his mind had apparently changed and he had become ever more convinced that the woman had cursed him for spurning her advances due to a strange series of phenomena in his home. His letters spoke of seeing mysterious shadow figures roaming about his apartment, waking up covered in bruises and inexplainable cuts, and other strange phenomena, to the point that he explains he had resorted to reading books on the occult to find ways to protect himself, and had been looking for a professional to help him with his paranormal problem. 
He also mentions that he did not feel safe in his own home anymore and was spending much of his time staying at hotels, hiding from the stranger and her dark magic. The letters made for spooky reading, and authorities were convinced that Christopher was very serious about what he wrote and genuinely felt under threat. In the meantime, an autopsy was performed on the body and the cause of death was found to be acute myocarditis. In other words, a heart attack. This is strange for a number of reasons, not at the least of which that Chris was a young, fit, healthy man who led a clean lifestyle, didn't smoke, didn't drink, and had no history of heart issues at all in his family. There is also the condition of his body melt in the bathtub and the fact that this and the melted candles around his body seem to suggest that he'd been engaged in some sort of ritual right before he died. So it's very odd that his heart attack would hit right at that precise time. Right. It's also worth wording. It's also worth noting that this happened in the days right after he had started going on about witches and black magic. So it had been suggested that this heart attack he had suffered was not natural at all, but rather the result of a dark spell. This is supposed supported by the phenomenon he describes in his letters the meeting of the mysterious woman, and his utter panic when calling his friends. Could it be that perhaps something more than, other than a poorly timed heart attack? What could drive a rational individual to go spiraling into the world of witches and fear? Let me tell you, if this was a heart attack, this was the most oddly timed, worst timed heart attack ever. Totally. Because that would be one hell of a coincidence for this to happen in the middle of the mist of all of this shit. And it had been what? Like, this happened all in the course of, what, a week? Yeah. He he was on vacation, came back April 11th, and was dead by April 18th. It's exactly a week. Could this woman, who has never been identified, have something to do with this all? If she did, then it was through magic. And if so, why go through all that, all that effort just because someone wasn't down to hook up? Wait, so she was never identified. So this shit happened and they never found the person. Well, he's from Seattle. He was visiting San Francisco. True, San Francisco. And what are you going to do? Go into San Francisco, look for a lady and be like, hey, you into Asian music? Looking for a woman who's into ancient Egyptian music, who's older, who says she's a witch. Um, narrow that down a bit. That's insane. We have the answers to none of these questions. And the death of Christopher Case remains a bewildering, dark mystery. I have one more case for you. Arguably one of the most notorious figures in music history. English singer, songwriter, and actor David Bowie, born David Roberts Jones, was and is one of the most beloved rock. And can icons I just tell you guys that we've had this podcast for almost two full seasons, and the fact that Christy hasn't ever done anything with Bowie in it is a miracle because she loves Bowie so much. I'm obsessed with Bowie she is and the doors. With Bowie and the doors, and I mean, I love Bowie. And I've talked yeah, about the doors. I love, a few times, I love but. Bowie, and I love the doors, but. I, Christy is like super mega fan and the fact that one I love that you put them both in the same episode and two very surprised it took you this long to find somewhere to put Bowie and I'm glad you're finally doing it the problem is is Mr. Bowie is from England so I didn't right. want to put him we chose the section of the world where we're missing out on a lot of crazy rock history but this happened this event happened in LA so I was like perfect this will be perfect I can I use it because he's in LA <laughs> in this situation Famous for his strange and ostentatious shows and his dreamlike alter ego, Ziggy Stardust, many people may not realize that David Bowie was even odder than you might imagine. Being very much into UFOs, the paranormal, and occult. I think he would have loved our podcast, by the way. I I was going to say the same thing before you said it. I'm like, if David Bowie was still here, he would totally dig everything that we talk about. And I think he probably would have just loved the type of podcasts that are out for true crime and like UFOs in general. I wonder if he like 
like what he would think about it because I think this would he probably would have he probably would guessed on some of them just because he probably loved to talk about it finally with people totally and I know you're all thinking like I mentioned before he's English why are we covering this on tea this occurred in Cali and as a Bowie fan I could not let the story go untold there are many rumors and stories pertaining to David Bowie's dabbling in the occult and studies into the paranormal however only a few really stand out as rather particularly odd and one of these is certainly the time he had his demon-infested swimming pool exercised with the help of a witch. I have literally never heard of anybody having a demon swimming pool. <laughs> but to be honest with you, I'm not surprised that the person who had that is Bowie. Of all people in the world, it would make sense that David Bowie would have a demon pool. But yeah, back in the 70s, Bowie's obsession with spirituality and the occult was in full swing, often being featured in prominent, prominently in his music. In songs such as 1971 Quicksand, love that song, which heavily mentions magician Aleister Crowley and the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. 1976 song Station to Station, in which she explores interdimensional doorways and portals, among others. One of my favorites as well. During this period of time in his life, Bowie was known to surround himself with secret, secret imagery to protect himself from black magic, was very into psychic self-defense, and these antics were well documented when he was living with this manager, Michael Lippmann, and his wife a time when Bowie was very paranoid about being targeted by dark rituals. He would chant, draw occult symbols on the walls, save his fingernail clippings in order to keep them from black magicians, oh, and God. he became increasingly obsessed with Aleister Crowley, all while snorting extraordinary mountains of cocaine. Think like the scene in Scarface levels yeah. of cocaine. That is what Bowie with was With all of on, this other stuff. With all this other stuff going on in his head. An author by the name of Mark Spitz wrote about Bowie, quote, Bowie, a biography and illustrated and illustrated the artist's like evolution into madness and the paranoia, uh, the paranormal, painting a picture of Bowie increasingly viewing re uh, reality through a fractured lens. Spitz writes, quote, Bowie would sit in the house with a pile of the drug atop the glass table, a sketch pad and a stack of books. Psychic Self-Defense by Dion Fortune was his favorite. Author describes the book as a, quote, safeguard for protecting yourself against paranormal maleficence. Using this in more arcane books on witchcraft, white magic, and its malevolent counterpart, black magic, as rough guides to his own rapidly fragmenting psyche, Bowie began drawing protective pentagrams on every surface, end quote. This was a time of great paranoia for Bowie, as he thought people were psychically attacking him and alien entities were following him around out to get him. During one concert in September of 74, Bowie became convinced that aliens were in the crowd watching his show and checking him out for inscrutable purposes. And I love that because my suspicion has always been that Bowie himself is an alien. So, I've heard that before, too. And I just feel like if I was an alien, I'd totally go to a Bowie concert. Yeah, because he's probably in touch with it on a deeper level with their style of music than any other human on Earth. Jeremy Reed would write of, the inc of this incident in his book, Diamond Nebula, in which he says, extraterrestrials had been in the audience during his concert in the L.A. Amphitheater in September 74. People had mistaken them for Bowie clones he attracted. The silver pentagrams marked on their forehead had been interpreted as attempts to imitate his own facial decoration, but he had distinguished his own. They were there, and their eyes never left them. He counted 20. He was terrified they would come backstage. The time wasn't right. His act still had to be perfected, enhanced, taken to ultimate extremes. He had become an automized mutant, a rock android. People paid to see him with the expectation he would die on stage. 
It was during this strange era when Bowie would have a very profoundly weird experience as he was living in Beverly Hills with his then-wife at the time, Angie Bowie. In her book, Backstage Pass, Life on the Wild Side with David Bowie, she would write about how Bowie was convinced that their indoor swimming pool was actually cursed and that the devil himself was using it as a portal to our dimension. See, after hearing all the other stuff that he thought, the pool is seeming less and less insane to me because he literally thought aliens were watching his concerts. So I'm just- and, and mind you, I love that they said the indoor swimming pool. Like, that's such a 70s, 80 thing. Like, right. who has an indoor pool these days? That's so inconvenient. Like, you're constantly wetting the carpet. Like, I remember- seeing that when I was younger and all those movies and I'm like when you get up you aren't you gonna like destroy your floor so it's just such a it just shows that time I also frame. keep thinking about because I've been like I used to swim and of course when you're when you practice swimming you swim inside and all I can tell you is that indoor swimming pools are very humid and stuffy and I'm just thinking like you just have this giant stuffy room in your house yeah and then I'm also jealous because you can afford to have an indoor swimming pool. of course naturally <laughs> But, in fact, he would claim to have seen the devil emerge from the pool on at least one occasion. Oh, sure. And, and, and Angie Bowie would write of the pool in all of this bizarreness. Quote, it was a white cube. So this is from her book. It was a white cube surrounding an indoor swimming pool. David liked the place, but I thought it was too small to meet our needs for very long. And I wasn't crazy about the pool. In my experience, indoor pools are always a problem. Exactly. This was no exception, albeit not in any of the usual ways. Its drawback was one I hadn't encountered before and hadn't heard or seen since. Satan lived in it. With his own eyes, David said, he'd seen him rising up out of the water one night. Bowie was so upset by the alleged demonic forces gravitating towards the pool that he allegedly went about getting an exorcism done on it. But he didn't want just any old priest. He wanted someone he could trust. He would call upon Wally L. Lark a journalist best known for writing the English publications Melody Maker and Circus, but also known for her connections to the occult and practice of witchcraft, and thus she was sometimes referred to as the White Witch or the Rock and Roll Witch, which I love. I love that. Wally has been, had been raised in a Jewish family, but had found the tenements of witchcraft more to her liking. She became a member of the Wiccan faith, a form of paganism going far back into antiquity and predating Christianity by God knows how long. I said that ironically. Yes. <laughs> Wally was quick to point out that she was not a Satanist, nor did she wish harm onto others. She was a good witch or a white witch, casting beneficial spells and using candles and gemstones for, quote, self-empowerment. Wally Elmlark knew David Bowie. He had been to her apartment. The two were striking up a friendship, getting some kind of bond going. True, she wrote a very prestigious column for Circus Magazine, but beyond that attention, she could... Give the newly arrived pop singer from Britain, whose career was just blossoming in the U.S., they seemed to have a lot in common on a personal level. Wally was interested in the same things Wally was. Witchcraft, magic, UFOs. Wally would uh, help with the exorcism of David's pool. She gave the couple with spells, incantations, and all the occults needed for their mission. They then gathered around the pool and went to work. Angie, at this point, still did not truly believe in any of this stuff. Right. Because, you know, she knows her husband's on a bunch of drugs all the time. She's like, yeah, That's sure, okay. That's the thing. Like, I love Bowie and I really want to believe everything about this. But it's like, was it this or was it like all the coke you were doing? Like- yes. So keep in mind, again, Angie didn't believe in any of this stuff. But according to her, some very strange things would happen during this ritual. And she writes of it. So there we stood with Wally's instructions and a few hundred dollars worth of books, talismans, and assorted items from the Hollywood's comprehensive selection of Fine Occult Emporia. There, he, as in David Bowie was, then primed and ready. The proper books and doodads were arranged on an old-fashioned lectern. 
The incantation began, and although I had no idea what was being said or what language it was being said in, I couldn't stop a weird, cold feeling rising up in me as David droned on and on. There's no easy or elegant way to say this, so I'll just say it straight. At a certain point in the ritual, the pool began to bubble. It bubbled vigorously, perhaps thrashed is a better term, in a manner inconsistent with any explanation involving air filters or the like. As David watched this happening in absolute terror, I tried to be flippant. Well, dear, aren't you clever? It seems to be working. Something's making move, don't you think? But I couldn't keep it up. It was very, very strange. I was having trouble accepting what my eyes were seeing. We both left the pool in a hurry, and David told me to check on the pool from time to time. I kept my eye on it for the next 40 minutes or so, and nothing unusual happened. And so with my heart in my mouth, I slid one of the glass doors open and ignoring David's panic screams, went to the edge and looked in. I saw what I saw. Nothing can change that. So mind you, Angie is seeing this, not And she doesn't David. believe it, right. So this is not coming from like Bowie being... Of course, she's around rock gods. I'm sure she's dabbled. But I, I think at this point, she was kind of pretty clear. And I think the fact that you confirmed before, like, she didn't really believe any of it and stuff like that, I would be, if you had told me Bowie had said this, I, Bowie had said this, then I would have been like, oh, well, you know, but the fact that she's saying it, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. So she said, I saw what I saw. Nothing can change that. On the bottom of the pool was a large shadow or stain, which had not been there before the ritual began. It was in the shape of a beast of the underworld. It reminded me of those twisted, tormented gargoyles screaming silently from the spires of medieval cathedrals. It was ugly, shocking, malevolent. It frightened me. I still don't know what to think about that night. It runs directly counter to my pragmatism and my everyday faith in the integrity of the normal world, and it confuses me greatly. What troubles me the most is that if you were to call that stain the mark of Satan, I don't see how I could argue with you. Bowie and his then wife would move from the accursed residence after that. Fucking but it finally. Did, but it did seem that whatever they tried didn't work as subsequent owners would apparently have very similar problems in the home. Which also makes it true because now someone else is saying it. And it's not like I don't think the story was probably well known at that time for them to be like, oh, yeah, me too. Well, remember, also, this is like a fancy L.A. home. You're not going to taint it by saying it's cursed and then no one purchase it. Right. So, of course, they probably didn't say anything, but more and more people kept going in and out of that house through time. Something was going on. David, of course, insisted that we move. And Angie would say of this, David, of course, insisted that we would move from the house as quickly as possible. And we did. But I've heard subsequent tenants haven't been able to remove the shadow. Even the pool has been painted over a number of times. The shadow always comes back. This certainly makes the case a tad more credible because his wife also saw the phenomenon. So you can't chalk this up to then to Bowie's then drug-fueled lifestyle. What the hell was in that pool? Is there anything to this or was this just two people tripping? It's well documented that Bowie had a severe cocaine problem at the time, putting away whole snowdrifts in a single sitting. So was this all a drug-induced illusion that was somehow transferred over to his wife and helped along by the white witch Wally Elmark? It's hard to tell, but even Bowie himself would later say at this point in his life where he had reached the bottom saying, I paid with the worst manic depression of my life. My psyche went through the roof. It just fractured into pieces. I was hallucinating 24 hours a day. I felt like I had fallen into the bowels of the earth. It certainly seems that the great David Bowie was at an odd point in his life, drawn to beliefs and obsessed with drugs and things that could very well have warped his sense of reality. Yet, how does that explain what other witnesses saw? How does that explain what other people have seen since? Could this all have been simple group hallucination or was David Bowie's swimming pool truly possessed by the devil 
Whatever the case may be, it was certainly bizarre. And this little known chapter in his life as one of the greatest music icons in the world that the world has ever seen, as well as the strange oddity in the history of music will forever live on. I don't think they were tripping balls only because people saw it afterwards. So I would say it's trip. It's just David Bowie trip, but like people saw it afterwards and I don't know. I'm just creeped out. And I, I didn't like indoor pools before. And I definitely, if anybody, <laughs> if I, if I have any rich friends out there and you invite me to your house with an indoor pool, I'm not going. <laughs> I'll go as long as you tell me it's clean, literally and paranormal. Yeah, like I'm gonna need it. I'm gonna need some sage first, <laughs> and and I'm gonna need somebody else to go in first, also, and then maybe I'll think. But that is my case around curses and music. So just uh, you know, be careful out there. Be careful what you do because you never know what kind of consequences it might lead to. So now we have a whole list of places you shouldn't mess with, and that is cemeteries and indoor pools. <laughs> Definitely. Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? Who does does that? that? So I have a who does that from outside of the United States, everyone. Brazilian senator caught hiding cash between his butt cheeks. I knew it would happen (laughs) one day. I knew these political people would literally got caught with their money up their ass. I knew it would happen one day. It's from HuffPost. And you know, HuffPost always has like a headline and then like a mini headline. So they're... They're so clever. So their mini headlines say reps for Chico Rodriguez have not yet commented on the cash allegedly found down his pants. Wait a minute. His name is Chico <laughs> and he had cash up his he butt. Did. That's what you're telling that me right now. Telling right now. <laughs> See, life is really stranger than fiction. Yeah, 2020 that's is why it's better to just it. do a podcast on stuff that really happened because it's weirder than the shit that you make up. But Brazilian Senator Chico Rodriguez was caught in a police raid with money hidden between his butt cheeks on Wednesday, a, judi- a judicial source <laughs> briefed on the matter told Reuters, amid an investigation into the misuse of COVID-19 response funding. So you're just an asshole who Naturally, stole COVID-19 You're stealing relief from sick people. And then shoving it up your ass, basically. So in the Senate, Rodriguez represents the state of Roraima and has also been chosen as deputy leader for the agenda of the administration of President um, Jair Bolsonaro, who won the presidency campaigning heavily on ending the corruption of previous governments. Rodriguez confirmed in a statement that his house was raided without giving details, of course, because who wants to say that? He denied wrongdoing yes. and said he had been clean throughout his 30 years in politics, which we all know is a bullshit-ass lie. Yeah. Nobody's clean in there. Okay. His office did not immediately respond to a request for comment on the cash allegedly found down his pants, an incident that was widely reported in major Brazilian newspaper, citing unnamed sources. The federal police declined to comment, citing the confidentiality of the investigation. In a statement on Wednesday, the police said they had carried out raids as part of an investigation into the possible misuse of con- con- congressional funding directed to the health secretary in Roraima to pay for to pay for the COVID nineteen response on Thursday, Bolsonaro said the police raid was evidence that his government was fighting graft. There is no corruption in my government, and we fight corruption, whoever it is. He told supporters outside his official residence. Bolsonaro's anti-graft credentials have faltered since the presidential campaign. His former justice minister, Sergio Moro, an immensely popular ex-judge who was known for his tough stance on corruption, resigned earlier this year, alleging Bolsonaro had sought to interfere in a police investigation for personal gain, an allegation Bolsonaro denies. The president's son is under investigation for graft graft in Rio de Janeiro. Bolsonaro and his son, of course, deny any wrongdoing. I don't know about you, but that all sounds corrupt to me. And not just that, too. This just further proves that when people are in power, it doesn't matter what they tell you. They're still going to do it for their own gain. And that's why I always like 
try to avoid so many political conversations because I'm like, everyone's out for themselves. And that's the reality. And this further proves it. And I'm also thinking it's so funny you were saying he's been clean his entire time. Not only literally did you have like it's not even a metaphor money is fucking dirty and you put it up your ass so not only is your ass literally dirty with bacterial infected money but you're also dirty because you're stealing from people that are sick that need help like there's no worse situation that you can find yourself in politically and i hope that this guy is like thrown the out the minute you try to tell me that you've been clean your entire political career i'm already gonna call bullshit because you just no don't one's get clean in any career no one's clean. you've done you've done in something dirty career. in every career you've spent a longer lunch time than you should have you've intentionally shown up late every single day or go left early without people noticing everybody everybody is dirty. has stolen company time we all know this according to the office but not everyone has stolen company money and that's where you that's where the big no-no is especially right. when you're paying when it's the taxpayer's dollar <laughs> of course his name's chico thank you brazil for doing a very florida like action <laughs> is brazil the florida of south america <laughs> Please let us know. Maybe we should explore that. <laughs> anyway, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. A like, subscribe, leave us a comment. We've actually gotten some really sweet DMs lately. Thank you, guys. Keep listening out for the stuff for our giveaways. And most importantly, stay weird, Americas. Bye. Adios.